0: Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Linnert, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Laura McDougal. Laura McDougal is a leading authority for senior women leaders in the nonprofit and healthcare sectors who are designing their next chapters in life, work, and legacy. With 20 years of experience leading change in the healthcare and nonprofit sectors, and an MBA with the Smith School of Business. Laura now turns her passion to setting fellow women leaders on fire for the next phase of their careers. She sees a vast untapped resource in senior women leaders and has created the On Fire Women's Empowerment, Empowerment System and the Flourishing Business Collective for Entrepreneurs as tools in her mission to rouse fellow leaders to even greater contribution and purpose. In her own career within the health sector, Laura and her team set the standard for patient-centered care in Ontario and beyond. She was an expert panel member for Accreditation Canada, advising on the first national standards for client-centered care. Laura has also held senior roles at leading organizations, such as Cancer Center Ontario, Mount Sinai Hospital, Pantheon and Baxter, where she has been recognized with awards for excellence, including a Rising Star Award, amongst others. Frequently called on as a speaker and a moderator at conferences across Canada, England, and the United States, Laura presents on a broad range of topics from the patient experience to resilience. A lifelong volunteer, she is passionate about supporting youth at risk, and in 2015 developed a resilience program for youth living in a shelter welcome to the podcast Laura thank you Kimberly so nice to be here yes so um, you have quite a history over 20 years experience so I know everyone doesn't they're not born doing all these things so tell us about you where did you start out where you grew up how you got to be where you are today
1: sure thanks Uh, so I grew up in Toronto in Canada and I started out as an occupational therapist, and then I uh, went back to school and did an MBA and rose through the ranks of uh, a number of for-profit companies, and then also turned my heart to go back to the not-for-profits. Um, and then um, I had a number of senior roles in those positions. And then about five years ago, I had a role that so many people would have uh, actually love to have. It was um, leading the change across the province around the patient experience in the cancer and renal systems. And so huge amount of responsibility. And yet I found myself lying awake at night stressed. I couldn't sleep. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have pain in my forearms because I was clenching my fists all night. All I could do was try to figure out how to solve the problems that I had at work. And that all came crashing down when I was let go about five years ago. And I went through a really rough time after that. I really kind of isolated myself from others. I kind of holed up in my home office. I shredded old papers. I'd listen to podcasts and read, and I'd go to yoga. And I'd look at jobs online, and I'd think, oh, I could do that. I could do that. And I couldn't bring myself to apply to any of them. Uh, The only thing I knew I wanted to do was my yoga teacher training, and I thought, how stupid is that? You can't spend 3500 bucks when you're unemployed doing yoga teacher training when you know, don't want to grow up and be a yoga teacher. That's ridiculous. And so I stayed stuck. And really, the turning point was reading a book uh, by a researcher out of the University of Pennsylvania. And he said that only 10% of your happiness is due to your life circumstances. Imagine, only 10% of our happiness is due to our life circumstances. And that was a real wake-up call for me. That was like, oh my God, like I'm clearly doing something wrong. I don't know what, <laughs> but I needed to figure out what I should be doing differently. And so I went and immediately signed up to do my yoga teacher training. And then that created the momentum then a week later to sign up in a course in this researcher's work, which is the science behind how you build a happy and thriving life. And so now I've created for other women a program that I wish I had, which is how do you create a happy, A fulfilled life and how do you design a life you love and so that's kind of the short story about how I ended up where I am now where I coach and speak and run workshops um, focused on helping women find again that sense of passion and fulfillment so that they can create that life they love where they get out of bed in the morning excited about what they're going to do
0: and don't we all want that we want to wake up excited excited hey like oh it's another day awesome I get to go do it you know (laughs)
1: Exactly, right? Who doesn't want that fire in their belly again?
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So you started out as a, a therapist. You said, a, I, did you say occupational therapist? Yeah, yeah. So what, what, what was it that made you want to be a therapist?
1: Uh, so I guess when I was in high school, I worked at a center not far from home, and I worked with disabled children. And I would go over on the weekends, and I would feed the kids that couldn't feed themselves, and um, I just loved the joy that some of these kids had despite the circumstances they were facing. Um, you know, I still remember some of the kids that I went and feed, fed, you know, this young guy with carrot red hair and his mm-hmm. grin like ear to ear and he wasn't able to verbally communicate, but the joy and the expression and the communication that he and I had even without his ability to use words, just really filled me up. And so I really started to think about that as an opportunity of how can I, how can I help people? And in so many ways, you know, occupational therapy is kind of what I'm doing now, but in a different way, you know, it's very much about how do people take their strengths and build on that Mm -hmm. and create a thriving life. And it's so similar to what I'm doing now. It's kind of ironic that I feel like in some ways I've gone full circle.
0: Uh That that makes sense to me too, because you know, my background is in vision therapy. I'm a behavioral optometrist. So we work very closely with occupational therapists Yeah, and and it's the same thing. Now I'm just working with, you know, adults, helping them design a program for their life. (laughs) It's all kind of very similar. Yeah. So, um, how did you trans, you know, you were doing this occupational therapy and obviously you got a lot of fulfillment out of doing that, but then you changed to something else. What happened there? How how did that transition happen?
1: Um, I think, you know, that I didn't practice as an occupational therapist for very long. I practiced for four years Mm -hmm. and I really felt like I wanted to do more. I wanted to have a bigger impact in the world. Um, We were going through a time then when um, healthcare was uh, going through a transition and a different transition than it is now. Mm -hmm. But at that time, the funding was drastically being cut from our public health services. And so I was seeing these decisions being made about programs and services that were being cut. And as a frontline Uh, worker, I felt like if I went back to school and had an MBA, for example, then I'd be able to make better decisions because I would understand the patient care perspective, but I would also have this financial understanding. And so that was kind of why I went back and did my MBA. And then, of course, when I uh, graduated, there weren't many jobs in that area because of all the cutbacks. And so I ended up working in the for-profit world and had some awesome experiences uh, there. And so it's kind of uh, been a journey, I guess, from one thing to another.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you switched into from the profit to the nonprofit and you were helping actually change policy yeah. across Canada, um, what about that gave you fulfillment? What part of that, what piece of that really made you want to get up and go to work in the morning?
1: Uh, So I think it kind of comes back to working with the people, right? Like I, in that role, we had a lot of um, structures and environments where we got engagement from patients and family members around the healthcare system and how it was working and what things needed to change. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that connection that you have with people really um, made it special. It made it um, fulfilling. It helped us to um, well, we're at the policy level, it also gave that sense of connectedness to the end result, to the change that you're driving. And that was really fulfilling too, because you don't usually get both. You usually have just the policy or just the patient care side of things. And so it was a really unique role in that um, having both of those perspectives really made it fulfilling.
0: Yeah. That is unique because so many times you hear it's <clears throat> there's people in the office making policies but they're not in the field. And the people in the field and the people in the office really aren't, even if they're communicating, they're not understanding each other.
1: That's right, that's right. And so what was really beautiful about it was creating these structures where we had the engagement of patient family members to help drive system change. And so we were really one of the first ones to take that uh, on in a big way. And we actually um, had a patient co-lead our strategy for our next five-year strategic plan with uh, one of the leaders in our organization as one of our initiatives in order to fully embed the patient and family experience in the work we are doing. And that, I think, at that time when we did that was, was unheard of. And so it was a really um, and I remember having the conversation with the VP at the time and his perspective was, well, I don't really understand what kind of value this is going to add to the process or how they're going to help this, but I'm going to, we're, we're going to try it out and we'll go with it to see what happens. And then at the end of the process, you know, hearing him come back and talk about what value it added and how important it was, how that contribution of that different perspective really informed my priorities in a new way was really rewarding to hear that at the end. Yeah.
0: Wow. And I know that now you're in a different phase of your life, but any thoughts on our you know, like I'm in the United States, you're in Canada, any thoughts on our healthcare system or any changes you think if we just made this change, it would be better for everyone?
1: (laughs) You sound like it's such a small thing that I might recommend, you know? Um, so this is a, you know, um, I think as a Canadian, we tend to have a more socialist perspective than Americans in general. And so, if you were to ask me, my first thought would be well, of course, you would want to have healthcare available to anyone, regardless of their ability to pay. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, during COVID right now, I think, you know, my understanding is healthcare is more available now to people than it has been, regardless of their willingness or ability to pay. And certainly, we know from the social determinants of health that. Um, it makes a big difference if you can treat people and treat them early um, in terms of reducing the burden, increasing their ability to continue to um, contribute to the society and, and function at a high level. And so, um, so I guess my uh, wish for all of you is that uh, you all are able to find a way to find the care that you need when you need it and, and to uh, not have it drive you into bankruptcy or um, yeah, to be able to support everyone.
0: Great. Thank you for that. I just was wondering because you've been in it for so long. So um, so you so you were in that position and then you lost that position and you're yeah. kind of lost and you found yoga or I don't know if you've been, yoga, been doing yoga for a while, but you found something that gave you joy and peace and you pursued that, but then you still had to find something to create some income. So how did that transition happen?
1: So for me, I think the yoga was, um, I almost want to, you know, it's, it for me was about following my intuition. My intuition kept telling me do yoga, do your yoga teacher training. And you know, that analytical side of my brain kept shutting that, whisper down and saying, that's ridiculous, that's ridiculous, you're not going to grow up and be a yoga teacher, right? So why would you ever invest in that? And I think what my, and I had been doing yoga for quite a number of years, and I think what my intuition knew was that that process would be really healing for me. And it would give me a sense of community, which I was missing. I really missed that sense of community at work. Um, And so it created for me a space where I was surrounded by other people who supported me and who we were going through this challenging training together. Mm -hmm. And the yoga itself, I think, has a healing component. And so that allowed me, I think, to shift my perspective to somewhere where I was more open to other opportunities and I was more willing to take a step forward, even not knowing what the end point was. I think I was waiting till I knew what the endpoint was before I left the station, right? So it feel like we're going on a road trip and why would I go anywhere? Because I don't know what the endpoint was. And I think what I learned from the process was You know, you never know what the end point is, and it's always changing. And so you got to just take the first step and trust that the next step will become clear after that. And I don't think I had that knowing at that time. And it's only in retrospect, I can look back and then also share that with the people that I work with is that it's okay to do something that doesn't on the surface, make any sense, because it might lead you to your next step, which is where you want to go. And so that was really what I learned was that the journey was one where you don't know the destination. And, you know, even if I think back when I started as an occupational therapist, how could I possibly have known that my future destination is where I am now? And yet I trusted and just took the next step. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I think maybe when you're younger, you think you're taking the next step and it'll be something that you always do. And yet you and I know from working with many, uh, women and through our own experiences that that's really not the case that many people go through a number of significant transitions in their life and what they do changes you know often five or six times and so mm-hmm. for me it's about letting go of that expectation that it's just one thing and instead of embracing this idea that it's a journey and it's not a destination so where are you going to go next
0: yeah yeah and um so you went from being like an employee for a big portion of your life to, to creating your own thing. Yes. <laughs> so how did that work in your mindset? How did you trans, translate that or transfer to that?
1: Well, I would say that was a bit of a struggle for me. I certainly had no experience running my own business, had never done anything entrepreneurial in nature. And so I think that mindset also held me back, that I didn't know how to do it, that I didn't have the skills I needed. And so what it took for me was actually to invest in working with people that had been through it to have them teach me how to get there faster. And I did try it on my own for the first bit you know, didn't really make a lot of progress. And so it wasn't until I made that investment for, if you will, a coach who's been through it, who could coach me on the steps and what I need to do next and how to get there faster, that I gained so much more momentum. And so I guess my advice to people is if you're doing something new, don't be afraid to hire a coach or to help you out. I mean, if I think about it, when I learned to downhill ski, I hired a coach or an instructor to help me why wouldn't i do that when i'm setting out my own business right and so now i'm certainly a strong advocate for um, having a coach no matter where it is you want to get there if you want to get there further faster uh, a coach is an awesome resource to have in your in your um, circle yeah uh,
0: yeah i totally agree because it just gets you faster i mean even the sample of this podcast so i've been wanting to do a podcast or a youtube channel for a few years and I was looking for who would be the best coach and I went through a lot of people looking and I'm like no they're not it they're not it and then I you know I actually learned with Brian Rose from London Real and he was the perfect coach he gave a step-by-step and by the middle of our course we were already broadcasting I'm like this is the kind of coach I want someone who's been there done it and, and, and he has, and um, he's making a big impact in the world. So the, the coach you choose is really, really important too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And as you're saying, Kimberly, it's so important to have someone that has that experience, right? If they've been through it personally, then I think that just gives them much better perspective to ha- understand what it is you might need at
0: any certain point, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So now when you have your own business and you're working with women leaders, Um, what, how do you help them? What do you do with them?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I've developed a four-step process that I help women walk through. Um, And the first step is really getting rid of the obstacles, getting rid of whatever is standing in their way. Often we have limiting beliefs or mindsets or Mm -hmm. burdens that we carry with us that we need to get rid of in order to move forward. Uh, You need to make space to uh, bring in something new. Uh, The second step is really getting clarity on where you want to go. And as I say, being clarity in terms of not necessarily thinking of it as a final destination, but clarity in terms of a next step. Um, And then the third step is about taking action. You need to build action and create momentum to test things out to see whether it's what really lights you up or not because often we try to figure things out in our head and that doesn't necessarily give us the answer it's when our head and heart are aligned that we figure things out and when we're our best self and so sometimes you actually need to experience it in order to do that so that's the third step and then the fourth step is really about creating habits for success So building momentum by ensuring that the habits in your day are supporting your future success in terms of where you want to get to. And so I do this by combining some tools that I learned from Tony Robbins' top trainer. I also have studied, as I mentioned, positive psychology, which is a science behind how you build a thriving life. And I integrate that with design thinking, which is how you solve a complex problem and isn't our beautiful life a complex
0: problem yes, it is one and, after another after another <laughs> and so
1: I've pulled all those tools together to help women figure it out um, faster than I was able to do it myself and so that's the process that I lead women through yeah
0: Wow so if if someone is in that position where they're you know they've loved what they've been doing their whole life but now they don't feel as much passion or they're just thinking, I just wanna do something new or I would just wanna have more impact. What are some of the maybe questions or things they should be asking themselves?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. So some of the things that I actually get people to do is start a little diary that keeps track of the times when they're extremely energetic or energized by an activity that they're doing. So noticing when your energy Um, is high. So what activity are you doing that creates that state of heightened energy? Um, Because those are the clues that we need to unfold to follow. And uh, one of the other um, states that I'd like to have people look at is a state of flow. And this is a state where you're in a challenging task. So it has to be like, very challenging but not so challenging you can't accomplish it so challenging it fully engages all of you and that um, you lose track of time so you go into this state where you don't feel either positive or negative you just feel absorbed by what it is you're doing and that's mm-hmm. flow state is also another clue about the types of things that would really um energize you and get you on fire and then of course we look at what things really perhaps uh, they're passionate about and I don't always use the word passion because um, people often don't feel passionate about something until they've they're really great at it so often you have to do 10,000 of hours of something to get really good at it and then you get passionate about it is when you have that level of mastery Mm -hmm. and so I don't always use the word passion because I'm one of those people that didn't have that passion and felt really frustrated by stop telling me to find my passion. Cause I don't know what that is. <laughs> and so, um, and so it's about um, piecing these clues together and, um, and then using them to tell a story about what might be next for you. Yeah.
0: And that makes sense because I, I found that sometimes you haven't even been exposed to the next thing you're gonna do yeah you know yeah. if you're gonna be a musician but you've never gone and, and heard someone play the piano how do you know that that's your next passion so sometimes it's just exploring and seeing what things kind of light you up and then yeah. pursuing it in that direction because yeah it, it is it can be very frustrating because I you know I tell people we'll find your passion but you're like well, I'm going to work every day. I come home and I'm tired. <laughs> and I'm not really passionate about anything when I come home because, you yeah. know, I, I, I'm just doing what I'm doing. And so it, you do need that extra time to be able to explore or find something that you really, really love.
1: Exactly. And I love your idea of kind of testing out things. Um, You know, I I often encourage people to find ways to kind of try different things out that they wouldn't normally. Mm -hmm. So as to create those experiences or that opportunity to see whether um, they're enjoyable or not, right? We might imagine that, you know, we want to run a cafe or something, but then realize that all the administrative work that goes behind that is not what you want to do. And so how can you find ways to either experience that by talking to people who've been through it and really digging into what it really is like to do it, or how can you kind of get a side gig kind of doing that a little bit on the side so you can go in with your eyes open before investing your life savings in something that you may find isn't really what you wanna do. So in the end, it saves a lot of time and energy, I think, if you spend that time to test stuff out.
0: Makes sense. And so when people are going through this transition, you know women and men kind of have had different roles throughout their lives the women you know have usually not always but usually are the ones child care house care and a career and then all of a sudden when they're transitioning they may not have those other two. The kids are grown. Mm. They're made into the grandkid phase, maybe. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, they probably have hired someone to take care of the house by now. So how is it different for men and women when they're going through this transition?
1: Yeah, so um, I'd like to just highlight that I actually think there's often a number of transitions in one's life. And so that I'm, you know, we, you and I have talked a little bit about kind of Um, the 50-ish age as being a time of transition, and that is certainly true, and I see that often with uh, the clients that I work with, Um, and yet I also see other transitions often happening in people's lives, so I just wanted to acknowledge that, but Mm -hmm. so certainly at that kind of middle age time, I find that some of those things that you've talked about, like the fact that children are often growing up, they're more independent, perhaps they're going off to university um, or college or moving out on their own, I think it frees women up to think about what else might they might do. I think, you know, they carry much of the child rearing responsibilities on their shoulders um, and likely like in their hearts. And so I think often I hear from them, you know, my role has very much been to look after my partner and my family and ensure that family unit is and strong and successful and that these kids grow up. And then when those kids get to that stage where they're embarking on their own life, it's like, Oh, now I finally have time to think about me. Like until now I've been so focused on making sure everything else was okay. I didn't really have that time or that space or that freedom to think about what's next. So that's kind of one of the components As I see that as almost like a, um, I'm not sure whether a lever is the right word, but it becomes a decision point or a place in time where it opens up space. And it's also interesting. I was reading a book by Christiane Northrup, and she was saying that it, she also finds it's hormonal. There's a, there's a hormonal shift that happens in women that actually starts them looking to provide more service into the broader community. And we've I've talked about legacy, and you've also talked a little bit more about kind of what people are going to do to impact Others in the world, and so she talks about that shift also being from the family unit to more the larger society. And so I think that's another big shift that tends to occur at this point. Yeah, does that resonate
0: with the experience that you're having? Yes, it does. And um, and I've seen you know different people just like in your career, you shifted, you know, a few times. And there's some people that like they're serial entrepreneurs and they they shift and shift and shift throughout their lives. And sometimes they take on really different, you know, businesses and things like that. So there are different times of life when we're shifting. And I, I know even, you know, maybe when people get into their 70s, there's even another shift because we're wiser, but we're just naturally, we're slowing down a little just because We're in bodies, and that's going (laughs) to happen. So then we change our perspective on even how to do things, Mm -hmm. or we're more creative in how to get things done. Absolutely. So there's, uh huh.
1: Yeah, yeah. And in fact, you know, the more I think about kind of careers and life design, the more I think that um, part of what holds us back is thinking that it's static and thinking that. Um, and linking our um, ourselves too much to a certain title, to a certain role, instead of thinking of it like a river that flows downhill and is ever changing. And I think, you know, if we had that mindset that this is something always shifting and always changing, and that, um, then I think it might be a little bit easier for people also to make change. Whereas I think we hold on. We hold on to jobs with status. We hold on to titles. We hold on to um, these roles as if they're part of our identity instead of really asking different questions around. So what would serve me now? Where would my greatest contribution be? Like who can I, you know, who needs most the services that I can offer? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, very different types of questions than what am I going to do next? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, that it really... Uh, one of the ways I used to describe is it, um, you know, often we talk about work as being um, hard, right? It's like, oh my God, I got to figure, figure out what's next and and what my next role is. But what about if we looked at it with a bit more play and a bit more like we're going on a vacation? And if we compared it to a ski trip and we said, well, I could go to Austria skiing or I could go to Colorado. And they're very different, mm-hmm. but they both might bring a sense of joy, but a different kind of experience. And if we thought of it work a little more like that, well, I have these two opportunities to do next and they're both different. Which one might bring me joy right now, knowing that you know, in the future, I might be able to go back to Austria or I might choose that Utah's next or something. Like having this sense of play with it rather than this sense of fear that I might make the wrong decision. If there's anything I've learned that it's not about making wrong decisions, it's just about learning from every decision. Mm -hmm. Each decision takes you closer to what's next. Yeah. And what lights you up.
0: Yeah, it really does. And the other thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, there are things in our lives that we don't have control over. So, you know, when you lost your job, you didn't have any control over that. Um, I was at a point where um, I, I lost a position and same thing. I didn't have any control over that but you can look at it two ways. You can look at it and say, oh, this is horrible. What am I going to do? Whatever. Or you could say, oh, oh, this is an opportunity. That means all of a sudden I'm in this space where I have all these choices. Yeah. I don't yeah. have that one anymore. I, I can't choose that one because someone else chose, decided that, that wasn't <laughs> I wasn't going to get that one anymore. But I have all these other choices. So if when you get into that position and many of us are there right now with all the things going on in the world, um things are happening beyond our control. And all we can do is look around and say, okay, where's the opportunity? Where's the possibility? What can I do? You know, maybe your business has to go online now or you if you didn't have one, maybe you can create one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's
0: talents. There's talents, especially after many years. There's talents you have that you can share.
1: What, and Absolutely. And what I really loved about what you're saying there, Kimberly, is this idea that you can reframe what happens to you and you can choose to tell any kind of a story and you can choose a story that helps you or a story that hinders you. And I think, you know, I learned that one the hard way. When I was let go, the story I told myself was I was a failure. Well, when you tell yourself you're a failure, it doesn't leave a lot of opportunity to create a new future. There's no hope in that. There's no sense of possibility. And so I had to learn, and it took me a long time to learn how to reframe that and how to tell a different story, how to say, you know, I I didn't like the way that turned out, but I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to move forward anyway. Mm -hmm. And so um, so for me, I think that's really important. And if you are having trouble reframing things, whether it be about a role or a relationship or somewhere that you're, you feel stuck, that's especially when I think someone like a coach can really be helpful to help you with that, right? To identify when it is that you're struggling with what you're saying to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'm fortunate to have a girlfriend as a coach as well, or more than one. And I remember very clearly uh, me saying to her, oh, I can't believe it's taking me this long to get here. Like, what have I been doing with all that time? And she reframed it for me and said beautifully, she said, Laura, if you hadn't been doing all those things, you wouldn't be here where you are now. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, right. Like, and so that really just shifted for me how I was feeling in that moment. Instead of feeling frustrated and discouraged, it really gave me a sense of hope and possibility. And so I'm fortunate that I had a friend that was able to do that, That also is a coach. And so if you don't have friends that can help you with that reframing, you know, consider a coach or a therapist or someone who can help you put it in perspective to allow you to move forward in a helpful way.
0: Exactly. And, um, Now you have worked specifically in the healthcare. Now you work with, you know, everyone, but what is the importance or the treasure we get from just all that experience? Uh,
1: Just one, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's the treasure or the... um, So I think from my perspective, I feel like the people that really do great at what they do are the people that somehow are able to take all their unique skills and talents and craft it into something um, unique to them. And, and so I think in, in my own way, what I've done is taken those skills I had as an occupational therapist, um, mm-hmm. where I'm looking at people's strengths and I'm looking at how they can use their strengths to help them live their best life, where I'm using all the business skills that I gained in the business world, that I'm um, using my own experience and my own um, sense of, um, I guess, failure uh, to help people. So I, I, can't, I show up with compassion because I've been there, right? I know what it's like. And, um, and also combining that then with this way to help people and support people through things, right? Building on what's working and helping them to shift things. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really what um, I've really come to to see is that my unique expression is by taking all the things that I'm really good at and sharing them in the world in my unique way. And that's what I've created for people. Mm
0: -hmm. So when you think about all the experience you've had or, you know, any of the women listening or men even – um, you have all that experience, so how can they feel more confident or bolder coming out with, with something new? How do they tap that? Mm.
1: So my view, first of all, would be that, um, confidence comes from taking action. Often we expect to have the confidence. We wait till we have the confidence to move forward. We're like, oh, I'm, I'm not ready to do that yet. And yet you get the confidence by taking action. And so I encourage you to step into the fear. It's through the times that we're able to step through the fear, step forward, regardless of that sense of uncertainty and that sense of discomfort that I found I've had my most fulfilling moments when I felt the greatest sense of accomplishment. If we're not stepping through fear, we're probably not growing we're probably not pushing ourselves. And so I think the opportunity is to notice the fear, certainly tap into it and hear what it's telling you. And by all means, don't go jumping off a cliff, right? There's a place for fear. It's important to know what it is though. Is it, is it fear that's holding you back from failure because you're afraid of failure? And what's the worst that would happen if you failed? And can you handle that? Like if that happens, are you gonna be okay? then step forward, right? So it's about having a balanced view of it and not letting it stop us. I think too often we stay where we are. It's like those golden handshakes or the handcuffs, they call them, right? Where we stay where we are because it's safe. And I don't think that's the way to a fulfilling life. It's the way to stability, certainly. Um, and yet it's you lose a certain amount of aliveness Um, I
0: say, it sounds boring. (laughs) It just sounds boring. (laughs) Yeah. So why is it worth it to invest in finding out what your next chapter is?
1: Well, I would say that uh, certainly I wasn't able to figure it out on my own. I needed help. And I think because it's something that we don't often do, that it's really helpful to have a guide. It's really helpful to have a guide that helps hold up that mirror to, to reflect back to you, your strengths so that you can recognize that you've got what it takes to do what you want Mm -hmm. and can also give you that sense of accountability, right? Um, To help you move forward. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's incredibly important to take that step and invest. Yeah. I mean, we don't hesitate to invest in ourselves in university, um, in higher education. Why would we stop all of a sudden um, thinking that it's not, that we're not worthy of investment. Um, I think that that sense of investment in ourselves needs to continue throughout our lives in order to continue to grow and learn. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so if people actually wanted to have you help them through this transition, how would they get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, thanks, Kimberly. So well, the best bet is to go to my website, and that's Laura, L-A-U-R-A, McDougall, M-A-C-D-O-U-G-A-L-L, Dot com So lauramcdougall.com. And there's some resources there that people might find of interest. One is a strategic planning retreat that you can do on your own to help you define what's next in your next chapter. And so feel free, uh, perhaps with the current situation, you've got a little more time on your hands than you might normally, so it might be a good opportunity to dig in a little bit and, uh, and start to define your next chapter. And if people are interested, I'd be more than happy to have a chat about what that might look and how I might be able to support them with one of my programs.
0: That's great. Thank you. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today and all your wisdom and sharing.
1: Oh, thanks, Kimberly. It's been so much fun. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for your time. And I hope you stay well and all your listeners too.
0: Well, any last words of advice on how to create an incredible life? Um, I think it's all
1: about creating positive habits. So I think what I didn't realize when I was going through it was I had a lot of habits that were unconscious that I was doing day after day that weren't supporting me. Uh, the way I thought, the way I acted, um, the way I behaved. And I think it comes with self-awareness, be, um, set up positive intentions about how you can support yourself in moving into the next chapter. And maybe that's, movement or meditation, create a routine that supports your best life and, um, and make that part of a habit.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Laura. And we will talk to you again soon.
1: Okay. Thanks so much, Kimberly. Have a great day.